Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. All right, Dana, thank you for that testimony. Dana and John, who spoke last week, have been a part of our fundraising committee, guiding us in this process as we think through uh, what it would look like for a church to truly treasure Jesus uh, together, not, not just the pastors and the staff and the fundraising committee and the deacons and the 3D group leaders, but every single one of us, if we buy in, what might God do? And um, today... I've already preached two messages in the series. Uh, last week we were in Haggai chapter 1. We talked about the importance of building the house of the Lord, which is our heart, and is this uh, the people of God as people are converted and come to saving faith in Christ. Today, I want to challenge you um, to really examine what the New Testament says about our giving. And we're going to do that in a message called Treasure Jesus Extravagantly from Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. So if you could just find Mark 14 and find your place there, uh, that would be super helpful. And then if you have your Treasure Jesus Initiative book, there's kind of like a blank page in the back. Uh, You're going to be like, this is the weirdest sermon introduction ever. Um, It is, all right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a pen from the, the chair pocket in front of you if, if you have one or if you don't have one. And I want you to take a minute to write down the top four or five things that you own, possessions, without the help of the bank. Right? So when I say top four or five, I mean the most valuable things you have, the top four or five most valuable things you have, either individually or as a family or as a couple, just write them down, right? It could be cars that are paid for. It could be uh, the diamond ring that's on your finger, uh, some gold necklace that you inherited from somebody. Has everybody kind of got that? I'm going to call you back to this exercise later. So if you don't participate then you're going to miss the takeaway later, all right? So you got it? If you got it in your head, that's, that's fine too. Top four or five possessions that you own without the bank's help, all right? Everybody got it? Nobody's got it, all right. Paul, do you have it? Okay, thank you. So uh, before we begin begin, uh, reading the text and diving into the sermon, we have a a few important reminders as we get started. There there are new people coming here every week, and we are so thankful that you are coming. And we hope uh, that if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have the free gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus, that you would come to saving faith in Christ. That is our desire for you. And, And in this series, I'm primarily speaking to believers in Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, step one is you need to know Jesus. The rest of this won't make too terribly much sense to you. If you're new and you know Jesus and you're looking for a church, you're stepping into a church that is in the middle of an initiative to take some steps forward uh, in our spiritual discipleship and growth as givers and 
not only to fund our budget, our ministry plan over the next couple years, but hopefully to, ha- to secure enough resources by 2020, the end of 2024 to turn around and, and renovate and consolidate and secure our kids in preschools preschool ministries. We got great volunteers, great workers, and a ton of kids, but not the most ideal space for ministering to them. And we really have identified that as a need that needs to be addressed, which will be addressed through this initiative. So just to help you understand where we are, if you say, look, we haven't joined yet, but this is going to be our church home, then we'd invite you to participate with us. All right. So if you're brand new and you're still looking, no obligation. If this is your church home, we'd love you to step into this with us next week. Second, I want to be sure that we define success. What is success? Um, in your book, in your Treasure Jesus Initiative book, you re- realize we, to, to do everything we want to do, we need to raise uh, $4 million. And that's insane. If I was a fundraising consultant looking at where we've been, I would never recommend $4 million as the goal. Well, why did you recommend $4 million as the goal? Well, it's what we need to be able to complete phase one. So with With hearts open to God, we're saying, God, what might you do? So will we hit the fundraising target? I don't know. Um, And and there's a part of me that really wants to, right? Because there's some important stuff we want to get done. But that's really secondary to the ultimate goal, right? The funding timeline is in God's hands. The future construction costs are in God's hands. But what is up to us is how will we deal with what God is doing in our hearts right now? And so, so success is this. Success is not hitting the target or not hitting the target. Here's success. Success is everyone who calls North Roanoke home, whether you're here or online or in the sanctuary overflow or you're homebound. Success is everyone who calls North Roanoke home treasuring Jesus by giving all that he would call us to give for the good of his church, our neighbors, and the nation's. So here's where I, where I want to start. If, if Satan has been trying to help you rationalize not participating in this and you know this is your church home, then please go tell Satan to fly a kite and be a part of God's success story. It's on, su- success, if it's defined properly, is at this point up to us responding what the Spirit does in our hearts. And I know the Spirit's going to do something in our hearts because if we preach the Word of God, it will not return void. The question is, is it going to make you more like Jesus and draw you more into the heart of Jesus, or is it going to drive you further away? So don't take this as an opportunity uh, to let Satan get a win, right? A mini win. So this morning, I want to speak on the subject of, of treasuring Jesus extravagantly by highlighting a familiar story from Mark chapter 14 and then a surprise story to close the message. I'm going to emphasize extravagant giving because Jesus emphasizes it. Those who've been forgiven much delight to give bounty, bountifully. They, like, they delight to be bountiful sowers in the kingdom, Paul tells us. For some, that means it's time to, to get started. You heard Dana's testimony, you're like, I've 10%, I've, I've never given 1%. It's time to get started. For, for others, it's time to stop coasting and intentionally structure your life to, to go from wherever you are to, to, to being a lavish treasurer of Jesus for the glory of God. Now, I understand the word extravagance. As I say treasure Jesus extravagantly, that's not always a positive term, right? When, when people throw an extravagant party for a preschool graduation, you're kind of like, eh. I mean, preschool graduation, what is that? They didn't have that when I went to school. 
Now you got preschool graduation, kindergarten graduation, middle school graduation. First graduation I ever had was a high school graduation. And it was like, here's some finger foods, you know. <laughs> Nothing extravagant. Some people, they, they get extravagant about the wrong things rather than the right things. What we should be most extravagant about is in our devotion, our love for the one who gave his life so that we could have life everlasting. So extravagance is only appropriate at the right time. Extravagance means to go beyond what is reasonable or even to be absurd. I'm calling you to absurd giving for the glory of God. And there's nothing more astoundingly and gloriously absurd or extravagant than that God the Son came down to die for us. Paul says, to the world, what Jesus did for us is foolishness. But for those who are being saved, rescued by the gift of God, it's the wisdom of God. In other words, being saved doesn't just give us new life. It then changes how we live. We want to live like the one who saved us. And we want to give like the one who saved us. Saved people want to live like the one who saved us to to empty ourselves for the glory of God and the salvation of others. So while the the Gospels warn us about the dangers of extravagance for ourselves, they urge us toward extravagance for the sake of Christ and those He's come to save. In Luke 12, do you remember the parable in Luke 12? You don't have to turn there, but do you remember the rich farmer? The parable of the rich farmer, he had a harvest that was so big, he didn't know what to do with all of it. He's like, this is crazy. I've got a bumper crop. This is awesome. And rather than share the harvest with those who were in need, what did he say to himself? I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to store this up for myself. And then literally the text says that he's going to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He's going to enjoy the bumper crop for himself. And do you remember how the parable ends? Jesus says this, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Are you rich toward God? Are you extravagant toward God? Those who have been rescued by God's extravagant gift, He did not spare His own Son, will be rich toward God. Saved people learn the joy. I want you to to remember this phrase. Saved people are on this journey of learning the joy of living sufficiently so that we can give extravagantly to the One who gives us a gift that we could never buy or never repay. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? From Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, this is Jesus, a a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? 
She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Would you pray with me? God, help us. God, help us to be extravagant lovers of Jesus. God, help us to to order our passions and our desires rightly. God, there's nothing greater than Jesus. There's, There's no gift that could ever compare. There's nothing else that's happened in the history of the world worthy of our deepest, most earnest and passionate celebration. God, help us to to internalize this text this morning. And Spirit, we welcome and invite you to do business in our hearts for the glory of Jesus. And we ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a woman in this story who is not named. She is very likely Mary of Bethany, the sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, We believe that because in John's account of the story, uh, Mary is the one who anoints Jesus with oil or nard six days before the Passover leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And in Matthew and Mark, the anointing, the story that we just read here, the anointing of Jesus' head is stressed, but in John, the focus is on Jesus' feet. These would not be contradictions in the story, right? Just differences in emphasis, because in verse 9, what does Jesus say? She anointed my body, so head and feet. And, and Mark wants us to know, if, if this is Mary of Bethany or just an unnamed woman, he wants us to know that this gift is extravagant. In verse 3, what does he say? The anointment the ointment was pure nard, very costly. When you go to Kroger, you can get like olive oil or you can get the good stuff, right? It's the difference is in the price. Similar concept here. There's no impurities in this oil. It's been refined. It's the good stuff. It's what you really want to cook with. It's what you bring out when you want to do your oil and vinegar and dip your bread in it and put your salt and pepper in there. Anybody do that? That sounds good. So it's, it's the good stuff. And it's, Mark says, very costly. Most likely Mary had inherited this nard and she had likely kept it to, to sell it only if she had to. If you've done Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, this was her emergency fund. All right? In verse 5, we learn the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. She anoints Jesus with something more than the typical wages for an entire year. And get this, to get access to the ointment, what does she have to do? She's got to break it. She's got to go all in on treasuring Jesus. She's either got to anoint Jesus or not anoint Jesus. There's no like, I'm going to give him 10% of my thing, or 5% of my thing. It's a 0% or 100%. You see that? It's got to be broken. And so she goes all in on treasuring Jesus with an extravagant gift. And I want to show you three things this morning about what it looks like to treasure Jesus extravagantly, because that's what the New Testament calls us to again and again. 
You won't see any stories about tithing in the New Testament. Not that tithing is a bad principle. In fact, Dana just shared with us. They've been committed to that as a family. That's, that's wonderful. But the standard that the New Testament calls us to ultimately is not just a tithe, but to extravagance. When we treasure Jesus extravagantly, we don't care. The first thing I want you to see is we don't care what anybody thinks. I, I love Jesus. He's worthy of my all. And I delight to give my all no matter what you think. And during the time of the New Testament, social convention held that women were not supposed to interrupt men's fellowship around the table unless they were serving the meal. But this woman could care less. She is not concerned about social convention, is she, at all? She's eager to anoint Jesus. She worships at the feet that will soon be pierced for her transgressions. And she anoints the head of the one who is God's anointed king forever. And instinctively, nobody has to convince us of this, right? Instinctively, we know that genuine love leads to extravagant giving. Does it not? I remember 1999. I'm in Richmond, Virginia. I'm working on a political campaign. And um, I want to marry this woman named Stacy Nixon. And I'm making $1,250 a month. Living out of a bedroom from a Christian brother in Christ for $125 a month. And it's just me. So I'm downtown Richmond trying to figure out, because I, I want to proposed to Stacy, but I'm not making much money, and I'm working about 80 hours a week driving the governor everywhere while he's running for Senate, and there's this little cart outside of our building. It's, they, they serve French food, and I figured out how to eat lunch every day for that summer. I was debating whether to stay on the campaign or grow, go to graduate school, and I decided I better go to graduate school because $1,250 a month wasn't going to cut it if I wanted to marry Stacy. But every day I got a wedge of cheese and a third of a French baguette for $1.25. That was my lunch. I skipped breakfast, often skipped dinner, and I pocketed, after tithe, taxes, and transportation, I pocketed every single dime that I could pocket. Because I was coming back to Ginger's and Roanoke, Ginger's Jewelry, and I was going to get my wife to be a ring that let the whole world know I love her extravagantly. We know that genuine love issues forth in extravagant giving. And if this is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the woman who has been commended for sitting at Jesus' feet while her sister, sister Martha, Martha was serving, we are seeing a woman who's beginning to truly comprehend who Jesus is. Do you remember when Lazarus dies, she, like Martha, lectures Jesus for not being there to save him. And Jesus weeps over the lack of faith, but then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And the bells and whistles are starting to go off in Mary's head. She's putting the pieces together. Jesus is not just a great man. He's the God man. He's come to substitute himself for sinners to take their place in death and secure their resurrection and life everlasting forevermore. So she comes to lavish upon Jesus the costly ointment of which he alone is worthy. She brings an extravagant gift. 
She doesn't care what anybody else thinks. But the second thing we see in this text, when we treasure Jesus extravagantly in verses 4 through 6, is that when we treasure Jesus extravagantly, our primary motivation is Jesus and not a project. Our primary motivation is Jesus and, and not some other outcome that we're seeking. We learn something important about our motivation for giving in this story. In verse 4, there are some who say indignantly, in other words, they're angry, their nostrils are flaring. They ask, why was the ointment wasted like that? Could I translate that? Why so much extravagance for Jesus? Why would you go all in for Jesus? To use the term of Generation Z, they were just saying that Jesus was, a, all this stuff was just a little extra. It's wasteful. Better to have a cause or a project or an agenda to make a gift motivate than to make a gift motivated by love for Jesus alone, they were saying. In Matthew, we learned that it was the disciples who were angry about the gift. In John, we discovered that it was Judas who is the ringleader of this opposition. And right after this story, in both Matthew and Mark, we learn of Judas's plot to betray Jesus. Don't miss this, church. The heart of betrayal against Jesus is not necessarily against giving. It is against giving to Jesus simply because of who Jesus is. You got that? What are we going to accomplish with the Treasure Jesus initiative? What are the projects? What are the agendas? What are all the things we're going to be able to do? And it's not wrong to talk about that, but I'm calling you to something more than giving for an outcome. I want you to give because you've already received more than you could ever imagine through the blood of Jesus. That's what Jesus is looking for, hearts that are motivated not by what we can get or even by what we can do, but by the Jesus that we have. Don't misunderstand. I want to see us invest for the sake of our neighbors and the nations and the next generation. The, The ways that we could use this building to aid us in the work of making disciples with some of these changes are incredible, but the first and greatest and highest motivation for spirit led extravagant giving is love. For Jesus. The, the disciples scold her, right, for not selling the ointment and giving the proceeds to the poor. Look what you could have done if you wouldn't have treasured Jesus so much. And then Jesus in verse 6, I love what Jesus does. What does he do? He steps in. Leave her alone. She's treasuring me. Get off her back. She has done, do you see it, a beautiful thing to me. The disciples call it a waste, and Jesus calls it beautiful. Would you be willing to waste your resources on the one who gave his life so that you could live forevermore? And then Jesus goes on to say, of course, you're always going to have the opportunity to take care of the poor, but Jesus is going to the cross. He's not going to be around much longer, and then, of course, he's going to send to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is not diminishing care for the poor. Rather, He's warning against always having to have a thing or a project or an initiative as a substitute for just treasuring Him above all other things. A right love for neighbor flows from a superior love for Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. Our sending of missionaries. Why do we send missionaries? Because we love Jesus first. 
our care for the poor, our provision for pastors and worship leaders to lead us in discipleship, and all the other things we support, church, they should flow not from pragmatism, not from we got to keep the lights on, we've got to maintain the building, we've got to have heating and cooling, and we do, and that's true, but our primary motivation when we step up and give is not pragmatism, it's the precious blood of Jesus shed to redeem His church. There's a reason that the fundraising committee and I did not call this the treasure the building initiative. I don't want you to treasure the building. The building needs help, but your treasure is Christ. There's a reason we didn't even call it the treasure the next generation initiative or or treasure the kids initiative. And we should treasure the next generation. We should be able to lay it, willing to lay our lives down for what God's going to do 20, 30, 50, 60 years from now. What does Paul say? Look out not for your interest only, but for the interest of others. And surely that includes our brothers and sisters yet to come, those not even yet born. But why would we do that? Because we treasure Jesus and his mission and his agenda more than any thing else. Jesus is not asking you to love a project. He's asking you to treasure him. When I was saving up for Stacy's ring, I was so stinking happy to be poor. Because every day I had a vision of the day I was going to have enough to buy that ring and put it on her finger. Stingy gifts will not bring you joy. Stingy gifts do not bring joy. Lavish, extravagant gifts bring joy. What what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 9, 7? God loves a cheerful giver. Where is the cheer in giving? It's in delighting in the one that you're giving it to. Time and again, Jesus shows us that cheerful giving is extravagant giving because that is the sort of giving that flows from a heart that loves and treasures Him. It is not a law-driven giving. It's not a percentage-driven giving. It is a love-driven giving. I wanted to give Stacy every ounce of every dollar that I could retain in that ring, and I wanted to put it on her finger, and I wanted to be like, how in the world did you get that? How much more? How much more ought the bride of Christ endeavor to treasure the the groom who came and purchased us with his blood. Thirdly, when we treasure Jesus extravagantly, it reinforces the gospel. When we treasure Jesus extravagantly, verses 8 and 9, it, it reinforces the gospel for us and out into the world. Why, why did Mary, presuming this is Mary, why did she lavish upon Jesus the largest gift in her lifetime, most likely? Because unlike the disciples, she's putting the pieces together about who Jesus is. He's been predicting his death and resurrection over and over again. And Jesus says she's come to anoint his body for burial, verse 8. 
The price of our sin is death, and the only one who could swallow up death with his life is Jesus. Jesus, God in our place, is the only way. And when Mary saw the price of her salvation and the worthiness of the one who could secure it, someone had to spare this Jesus a criminal's burial and anoint his body. Someone needed to put the costly oil upon his head and declare that he is king. And she had it, and she gave it in lavish love for Jesus. And in verse 9, I love what Jesus says. He predicts that her gift, specifically what she has done, will be told in memory of her wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world. And he's right because it's recorded in the New Testament. And when the gospel is proclaimed and it's preached, pastors all around the world tell this story. It's a reflection of the lavish love of the believer for the Lord who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus says the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the message that God gave. He gave something we could never give to ourselves. And that message and her gift are going to travel together. You say, well, what's the connection between receiving from God what we could never earn or deserve or secure and then giving Him our extravagant devotion and our giving and our love. Here's here's the connection. Church, when we say that we've been rescued by Jesus who gave to us extravagantly in love, lost people see this reality through people and churches who give extravagantly to Jesus in love. I I heard somebody came to me last week and they were like, hey, uh, so-and-so said that North Roanoke is having this initiative where they're trying to raise crazy money What are they even thinking about? It'll never happen. I was like, they might be right. It'll never happen. You know, word travels in a a community like Roanoke. Well, they're just a bunch of crazy people over there. Uh, Y'all aren't crazy. I'm crazy. Okay? you're, You're off the hook. What might the world say about a church that treasures Jesus extravagantly? What might a world say about a church that puts their money in their heart where their mouths are? Might the gospel and the gift travel together? Might some people be shocked and astounded and surprised at what God might do? Our our extravagant response to Jesus will redound to the glory of our King until He returns. In the lives of kids that are changed right here on this property, I pray in an eventual affordable preschool to assist young families raising their children in the gospel from an early age. You say, do we need a preschool? You know how many young families in the last six months have said, I can't find anywhere to take care of my kids. We don't know how we're going to piece it together. Why don't you all have a preschool? Well, one, right now what we have wouldn't meet code, but what we will have will meet code. So maybe we can. This week, somebody came by the office door, rang the buzzer. They were like, we want to register our five-year-old. And we're like, for what? They were like, for preschool. We're like, we don't have a preschool. Well, nobody has a preschool. What, we help us with our kid. We're like, well, we got Sunday school. 3D groups, right? But, but there are needs in our community that we can meet and then have an opportunity to meet a whole new generation of families in the process and give them the gospel I pray that an eventual and affordable preschool will be a a part of what we do. I I am thankful for the missionaries who are going to be called out of this church to carry the precious gospel to the ends of the earth. We need to see this moment as Mary saw her moment. We need to see its impact if we treasure Jesus as she did, that it will be global and it will be everlasting. 
Mary's extravagant gift reflects the miracle of salvation and it demonstrates the love for Jesus that his gift of life to us produces in us. Receiving the extravagant gift reflects the, excuse me, Mary's extravagant gift reflects the miracle of salvation in our life. And receiving that gift of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins offered in the gospel, leads us to give extravagantly to Jesus. Why? Because we love Him and we love what He does in us and we want to see the gospel spreading throughout our community around the world. On page 56 of your resource guide, if you have it with you, there's a, there's a worksheet in there that is a carbon copy of what the commitment card that will be in your seats next week will look like. And in the second line of the box on the right, there's a line there where you can write down the value of something you can, can give, the, the value of which that you plan to sell to support the Treasure Jesus initiative. You say, well, why would I do that? Well, here's the biblical example. Mary gives her all to Jesus by breaking the flask and anointing him with oil. What, what is it in that list of three, four, five items that you either have in your head or written down in your book? Let me ask you a question. What would it look like if the Spirit prompted you to circle one and say, I'm selling that one to treasure Jesus? Out of that five, here's one. I, I'm just going to liquidate it, and I'm going I'm to give the proceeds for Jesus. Now, let me be clear. If you bought Apple stock in 1983, don't sell it. Because if that's you, you do not want to pay taxes on the appreciated value of that stock. There's a different way to give that. If you've got a beach house that you never go to, right, don't sell it. There's another way to take care of that. You say, well, who has that? I don't know. Somebody in here might have that. Of course, if you're more like the Palmers, the top things that we own that we can access at this stage in our life, they're, they're vehicles and jewelry. That's pretty much it. So Stacy and I are going to take one of those things off of our list, pretty special to us, and we're going to sell it. And we're going to support this initiative because Jesus is worth it. We've been forgiven much in Jesus. He's the treasure. But with all this talk about extravagant giving, I, I am sure there's at least one in this room and some online and over in the sanctuary that are probably thinking, hold on a second, Pastor, I don't have anything extravagant to give to Jesus. Who are you talking to? You're just, you're just talking to those wealthy people out there. No? I'm not. Would you flip over to Mark 12? Verses 41 through 44 as we close. I've just told you about a very extravagant gift. Now I want to tell you about a more extravagant gift that I think is going to clarify where, put us all on the same baseline, okay? Verse 41, he sat down, Jesus, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny and he called his disciples to him and he said to them truly I say to you this poor widow has put in more than all those who are who are contributing to the offering box for they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had all she had to live on here's the final point 
We need to define extravagance like Jesus does. We need to define extravagance as Jesus does. Aside from what Jesus gave to us, his life, we have perhaps just read the account of the most extravagant gift recorded in the Bible. Two tiny pennies. The most extravagant gift. What in the world are you saying, Pastor? Many people put in large sums that day. Mega money. It was great. It was a good day at the temple at the offering box. And Jesus sees what's being given. And this widow comes, not just a widow who doesn't have a husband to rely on in that society, but this poor widow, she's, she's doubly burdened, and she's put in more than all those who are contributing. Jesus, do you need to go back and get a math lesson? This is astounding. Initially, it seems to make no mathematical sense. The leaderships have been given that day. The giving initiative is well on its way to being funded. And there's a poor widow with no husband whose gift will make virtually no financial difference in the fundraising efforts at the temple that day. When the accountant gets out the money and they add up the box, if you had the two pennies in or you had them out, it wouldn't even be a rounding error in the spreadsheet. And what does Jesus say? She gave more than everyone else combined. How? How in the world is this more extravagant? It's extravagant because... She gave all she had. Notice in both of these situations, Mary who gives all the oil and now this poor widow who gives her all, that they could not give a tithe. It was impossible to tithe the oil. It was 100% or 0%. It was impossible for the widow to give a tithe. Why? Because she has two coins. So what are her options? She can give zero coins, one coin which is 50%, or two coins which is all. And so the poor widow is like, you know what? I'm going all in. And regardless of the value or the dollar amount that ends up on your Treasure Jesus initiative card, he wants your heart to be all in. He wants us to learn the joy of treasuring Jesus, not with a tip, Not with what we can afford, but extravagantly. He wants us to find the joy of orienting our lives around treasuring Jesus. For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. There are some for whom that means it's time to get started. there's, There's others in this room, it means we have got to get out of debt. We have got to stop living for the world and leveraging our lives because we want to leverage our lives for Jesus, not for all the stuff that's in our house that we can't afford. And that's why we offer the Financial Peace University class. And if we have more that want to take it next semester, we'll be able to offer it again next semester. But some of you, you need to say, all right, I'm going to get started, but I'm going to stop living leveraged for the world so I can leverage my life for Jesus. For still others, it's, it's time to move beyond the tithe. It's time to say, hey, what does extravagant love for God look like in this season of my life? Jesus never te- treats the tithe as a giving ceiling. 
In fact, he's pretty harsh on the Pharisees, right? They were great tithers, but he still calls them lovers of money. So what is the Bible calling us to? It's calling us to giving that is motivated by the extravagant love of Jesus. No matter where you are, the motivation is Jesus, and he is worthy of our all. Would you look with me at page 57 for just a moment? Say, Daniel, you are preaching some long sermons. I am. But we've got some ground to cover that's important. On page 57, you're going to see a table illustrating what it would look like for the families that are presently engaged and involved at North Roanoke to reach $4 million. You say, how did you come up with that table? A a long career in, in fundraising and financial development and a little bit of science. You say, well, that's a crazy table. We'll never do that. Here, here's, when you look at this table, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to look at that top figure on that table and say, nobody has that, or that's impossible. Or I don't want you to look at that bottom figure and say, well, that's nothing. Nobody, I mean, that, who, who's living on uh, $35,000 $35, a year? Well, some people are. That's, that's what they can do, right? I, I want you to look at the annual gift of column. And I want you to find the number that's comfortable for you and your family. Something relatively easy. You found the number? Maybe you need to go home, think it over before next week. And now here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to ask the Lord, and if you're married along with your spouse, I want you to ask this, okay, if that's comfortable, what's extravagant? In this season of life, what is an extravagant gift of extravagant devotion for the king who laid down his life for me? The Spirit includes this story in the Gospels so that we will understand that Jesus simply doesn't measure giving the way that we do. Jesus doesn't need anything, remember? He's worshipped with selfless gifts of all sizes and especially ones that impact how we live. When Jesus takes stock of the giving at the temple that day, what does he say? He says, I could care less about the value of the gift that went in the box. I'm looking at the value in your account when it's left over. And this woman had nothing left because she poured out her life for me. So when we read this story, we need not think, wow, God can do a lot with a little. Certainly he can. But his point is more than that. Jesus is genuinely marveling at how much the widow gave. So whether you're at the top of the table, the middle of the table, or the bottom of the table, for all of us, Jesus' standard is simply this. Will you treasure me? What does Jesus want from us in this moment? He wants every single one of us going all in for the one who gave us all because we treasure him more than any other treasure. North Roanoke Baptist Church, may this valley know and may the world soon know that there are some crazy people who gather at 6402 Peters Creek Road. Jesus has captivated their hearts. He he is their prime devotion and their love and their ambition, and they'll stop at nothing to treasure Him. If that happens in this place, watch out world. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, I thank you. For the examples of these two women, God, for their acts of extravagant devotion, for the oil, and for the two pennies, not even enough to 
to get a day's worth of food. And God, I pray that however you choose to move in this place, that it would be unto your glory and that none of us would miss out on the opportunity that we'll have next week to actually be purposeful in orienting our lives toward Jesus and his kingdom. God, we, we, we're purposeful and intentional with so many other financial things. God, we take out loans on cars. We take out loans on houses. We, we make financial commitments every single day and every single week. And then the reality is, God, if we're honest before you, as soon as we talk about you being our king and the commitment that we ought to make to you, sometimes Satan tries to sneak in and, and derail the conversation and, and allow us to grab onto an excuse. God, I pray that you would not let us grab excuses as a church next week. God, have your will and your way among us because Jesus is the treasure. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.